Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Once again, if you're new here today, if this is your first time with us on a Sunday, welcome. Super glad that you're here. Um, if that's you, uh, just to catch you up, we as a church uh, really for the past uh, couple years uh, have been walking through the book of Matthew in the Bible, which if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, is just a book all about the ministry and the life of Jesus. And specifically in the section of the book that we've been in here lately, we've been looking at some of the various responses that people have to the person and the message of Jesus. Today we're going to continue focusing on that. Jesus is going to continue talking about the thing that he calls the kingdom of God, but today he's going to adjust his communication method just a little bit from what we've seen so far. So beginning in chapter 13, Jesus starts speaking to people using something called parables. If you're newer to the Bible, parables are basically these short, illustrative stories that Jesus tells from time to time. They're all a little bit different. Uh, So sometimes they have one character in them. Sometimes they have several characters in them. Uh, Sometimes they consist of multiple scenes and drama and surprise and intrigue. And then sometimes they're literally one sentence long. So they vary a lot from parable to parable, but one way or another, they all communicate something to us about the nature of the kingdom of God, the message that Jesus came to deliver. And here in chapter 13, we're going to get probably the heaviest concentration of parables that we've seen in the book of Matthew so far. So today, we'll cover the first parable. For the next month or so, we'll cover the rest of them from chapter 13. But before we get into all of that, it seems like it would be discussing, it seems like it would be worth discussing just a little bit uh, why Jesus chose to communicate in something like parables, why he chose that communication method in the first place. And conveniently, uh, that's the exact question that the disciples asked Jesus in the middle of our passage for today. So we're going to start there to get some context. We'll start in verse 10, we'll look at the middle section of the passage, and then we'll cover the parable on either side of it. Look with me at verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? So let's pause right there for a second. The disciples don't understand why Jesus chooses to speak in this way. A large crowd shows up to see Jesus speak, to hear Jesus speak, and the disciples are undoubtedly expecting Jesus to just drop some word bombs about who he is and what his movement is like, right? This is where you cast some vision, right? You, you motivate people in a really compelling way to become a part of your movement. That's what people are expecting Jesus to do. And rather than doing that, he just starts telling these random hypothetical stories about seeds and soil and fish and bread, And then on top of that, he doesn't explain to the crowds what these stories are all about. He just tells a random story and stops. And you've got to think the disciples are going, wait, Jesus, no, that's not not the best thing to do here. 
That's not what we're doing. Like, you've got all these people coming out to hear what your movement is all about. Like, why would you just start telling random stories? You're wasting a perfectly good opportunity to tell people what you're all about, and we can really get this movement off the ground. So why instead are you choosing to tell them these cryptic sort of random stories? Why are you speaking to them in parables, Jesus? And isn't that kind of the question that a lot of us have for Jesus as well? As we've worked through the Gospel of Matthew so far, have there not been times where we have heard Jesus say something and we've thought to ourselves, okay, Jesus, that was about the most cryptic, unclear, indirect way possible to say what you were just trying to say. Like, why would he not be direct? If he really cared about people hearing and understanding and responding to his message, why would he not be a little bit more clear about how he delivers his message? Why would you leave your words subject to misinterpretation and confusion from people? Why would you ever say things indirectly that you could say directly? This is really hard for us as modern Americans that think very in very linear ways. Why, wouldn't it be more effective for Jesus to communicate in a more direct sort of way more often? I think that, in so many words, is the question that the disciples have for Jesus at this point in the story. Jesus, why are you speaking to the people in parables? And the answer is what Jesus gives us next in the passage, but it's also what this entire parable that we're going we're gonna to study today is all about. So look with me first at Jesus' answer to their question, verse 11. He replied, because, here's why I speak to people in parables, because the knowledge of the secrets of, kingdom of, of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, the disciples, but not to them, meaning the crowds, everybody else who was gathered around him. He said, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Okay, so here's our answer. Jesus speaks in parables because people receiving his message isn't ultimately about how direct or clear he is. It's not ultimately about how effective of a communicator Jesus is. After all, he's the son of God. His communication skills are just fine, right? It's not ultimately about how direct or indirect he is. After all, he communicated several things clearly in his life on earth, and people still rejected his message just the same. At the end of the day, people's receptivity to Jesus' message is not about his communication style. It's about the condition of their hearts. It's about the condition of their hearts. How many people respond to the good news of the kingdom depends entirely on whether or not they have the ability to hear that message for what it is. Which explains why Jesus ends so many of his parables with that famous expression, if you have ears, let them hear. Now, Jesus continues to unpack this idea by quoting from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Keep reading with me, picking it back up in verse 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. 
Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would, I would heal them. But, talking to his disciples specifically now, he says, blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So have you ever wondered why people can have the exact same experience, two different people can have the exact same experience and respond completely differently to that experience? For instance, I personally know for a fact that the restaurant Chivo on Gay Street in downtown Knoxville has the best tacos in Knoxville. Don't at me about that, it's just a cold hard fact, okay? Best tacos, somebody said amen. Somebody's with me this morning. So I know for a fact they have the best tacos in Knoxville. Like they have a veggie taco that is my favorite taco on the menu. Do you know how good you have to be at making food to make me like a vegetarian option? Like it's just, it's very, very good. Best tacos in Knoxville, undeniable. But other people I know can go to that same restaurant, can eat the same tacos that I eat, and think they're not good at all. Now, they're obviously wrong. That's an example of unrepentant sin in their heart, right? <laughs> like, we, we know they're wrong, but still, that is their genuine response. That's their genuine opinion of that restaurant. Same exact experience, different response. Have you ever wondered why that is? How can that happen? How can two people experience the exact same thing and have completely different responses to whatever it is? I would say it has every bit to do with the condition that each person is in. Each person comes to that table, pun intended, right, with a certain set of expectations and assumptions about what a taco should be and what it should taste like. The state or condition that we are in often dictates our receptivity to certain things. Now, even though the stakes are much higher than tacos, it's certainly similar with the message of the kingdom of Jesus. People come to Jesus' messages with all sorts of expectations and assumptions about what the kingdom of God is going to be like and not be like. And often those assumptions tend to dictate how they respond to that message. Jesus knows that some people are going to respond positively to his message, i.e. his disciples, and he knows that some people are going to respond negatively to his message. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, even large portions of the crowd that has gathered around him to hear him teach. So rather than sweat the delivery method of the message, how he says and, and what type of communication he uses, Jesus often focuses far more when he teaches on the state of his hearers, on the condition that they're in, on their expectations of who he is and where their heart is at exactly, because that is what makes the difference. That is what determines whether a person responds positively or negatively to the message of the kingdom. And like I mentioned earlier, that is also precisely what this first parable of the sower is all about in Matthew chapter 13. It's a parable about how people hear and respond to the message of the kingdom, how people respond to Jesus' method. So let's see what it says together. Look up earlier in the passage with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 13. That same day, 
Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and birds came and immediately ate it up. Verse 5, Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was so shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So take note of some of the details in this story before we get into Jesus' explanation of it. Two of the things in the parable, two items in the story, stay the same throughout every part of the story, the sower or the farmer and the seed. Those don't change at all, and that's because, as we're going to see in a moment, Jesus, represented by the farmer, and his message, the seed, are always the same. Those two things do not change. The only thing that changes, the only variable in this parable from step to step is the type of soil that the seed falls on. Are you all with me so far? This is the idea behind this parable. And that's because, as we're about to learn, the soil in the story refers to the four different types of people or the four different responses that people have to the message of the kingdom. Four different types of heart postures people have towards the message. So just to make them easy to remember for our time together, let's give them some names. Let's give the four different types of soil some names. In the parable, Jesus highlights in this order the hardened heart, the shallow heart, the divided heart, and the receptive heart. The hardened heart, the shallow heart, the divided heart, and the receptive heart. These are four different types of heart postures, dispositions people are in, and therefore four different ways that they respond to Jesus' message. We'll spend some time on each one of these. You guys ready? You guys alive? Yeah, cool. Didn't know if like, people were just up late last night watching fireworks and you're a little bit sleepy. That's kind of the position I'm in. We had kids that were trying to sleep last night and fireworks were going off and I had to repent of some of the anger in my heart towards the people setting off fireworks. So, All right, four different types of responses. First one, the hardened heart. The hardened heart. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. In other words, Jesus is about to go back through and explain this parable to his disciples. We don't always get Jesus doing that. Sometimes he just tells the story and then he just lets it lie. But this one, Jesus actually goes back through and explains the parable in detail. So here's what the parable of the sower means, Jesus says. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the first soil represents the type of person who hears a message about Jesus. He hears about Jesus' way of life and immediately responds with no. Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. That's closed-minded. That's superstitious. That's offensive. That's oppressive. The person whose heart is set against even considering the claims that are made about 
Jesus. But notice that Jesus tells us there is something way more than logic or cynicism going on in this person's heart, the people that respond this way. He actually says the core of the problem is that, quote, the evil one comes and snatches away the message. Did you see that? In other words, he is saying that there are actual spiritual forces at work behind people's doubt and disbelief. There is an enemy that has a vested interest in people rejecting the message of Jesus. Now, maybe you're in the room this morning and you would say this one sounds kind of like you. Maybe you believe that the whole Christianity thing is a bit far-fetched or silly or oppressive or unnecessary or whatever the case may be. And first off, let me just say, if that's you and and you're in that position and you're here this morning, uh, we're super glad that you're here. Uh, You're not going to scare us off by admitting that you have issues like that with the claims of Jesus. We're not going to be offended at that. You're welcome to bring that up. In fact, we'd love it if you would come around a life group and just sort of wrestle with some of the teachings of Jesus in that context. Nobody is bothered by you admitting that if you're here this morning. But if that is you, if you find yourself in that kind of position, here's all I would challenge you with this morning. There are people in the world, likely quite a few people, who are probably much smarter and more logical and more cynical than you are. I'm not saying you aren't smart. I'm just saying there are likely people out there that are smarter than you are. And yet those people have still decided to follow Jesus despite that. Now, you could just write that off and just assume that those people have blind spots in their thinking that you somehow are immune to, or you could go and investigate why they have chosen to follow Jesus despite all of that. If you know them, you could go have a conversation with them or several conversations with them to ask them why that is, why they've still decided to follow Jesus. If, if, they've, if it's a public figure and they've written a book or two or ten, you could go read some of their writing and figure out how they landed there. But to me, that investigation is worth doing, at least for a time, especially if you consider yourself an open-minded person. Seems like it would be worth looking into that. And in that process, here's what you might discover. You might discover that there is actually something deeper going on in you than just the message of Jesus not making logical sense to you. You might find that there's actually something deeper in your heart that sets you against the message of Jesus. That's certainly Jesus' point here. But that's the first category of soil. It's the soil that immediately rejects the message of Jesus. Now, Let me just pause for a second here, because as I was studying this passage, I thought to myself, uh, wouldn't it be great if that were the only way to reject the message of Jesus? Like, imagine if this parable only contained two categories, right? What if you only had the person who immediately rejected the message of Jesus and then the person who accepted the message of Jesus? That would set us all at ease, right? Because we would be like, well, I haven't immediately rejected the message of Jesus, so I must be good. That puts me in the right category immediately. Wouldn't it be great if that's how the parable was told? The only problem is that according to the parable, there isn't just one way to reject the message of Jesus. There are three ways to reject the message of Jesus. And what's tricky is that the next two that we're going to read about actually don't look like rejection at all on the surface. They look like acceptance. So let's see what they are. First one we see is the shallow heart. The shallow heart. Verse 20 and 21 says this, the seed falling on rocky ground 
refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Okay, so at first, this response, the second one, looks polar opposite from the first one, right? The first person immediately rejects the message of Jesus. The second person actually receives it with joy, it says. Not hard-heartedness, but excitement and eagerness. This person hears about Jesus and they post it to their Insta stories immediately, right? They, they get excited. They tell all their friends about it. They, they invite all of their friends to church with them. They're excited about all of it. This person hears the message of Jesus and they think, I like this. This makes me feel better about myself. It makes me happier. It means God will help me with things that I want him to help me with. This is fantastic. They're really excited. But, Jesus says, when trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. We've talked in recent weeks in the book of Matthew about how sometimes we struggle to believe in Jesus because life doesn't go like we thought it would go as a result of following him. All of a sudden, we start experiencing trouble, persecution, suffering, opposition. Jesus says there will be people who respond to the message of his kingdom initially with great joy and excitement, but then when the going gets tough, they will actually change their mind. Sometimes I think it takes suffering or, or bare minimum, at least adversity, to expose what we really believe, what we really trust. Maybe we could put it this way with this type of response. Uh, these people are very excited about what God might be able to do for them, what he might be able to add to their life, but they're not all that grounded in who God is. At the end of the day, they're more excited about the benefits of following Jesus than they are about Jesus himself. They'll follow Jesus just so long as it makes life better and easier and more enjoyable for them as a result, but as soon as following Jesus makes life more difficult or less ideal, then they're out. As soon as they realize, for instance, that being a Christian shrinks the dating pool just a little bit, they're out. As soon as they discover that being a Christian may look like ridding themselves of certain vices and temptations that they really enjoy, then they're out. As soon as they discover that being a Christian might make them look foolish or closed-minded to their peers, they're out. You see, the shallow heart is really only in on following Jesus insofar as the benefits outweigh the costs from their perspective. And as soon as it feels to them like God is asking more from them than he is offering them, they go, okay, never mind, which means they were never really in to begin with. To put it plainly, it is possible to be excited about Jesus and still not be a Christian. It is possible to be excited about Christian things and still not be a Christian. Because following Jesus takes more than excitement. It takes endurance. It takes sacrifice. It takes obedience. It is a lifelong process, not just a one and done decision. Are you tracking with me? Okay, third category. The divided heart. The divided heart. This one we see in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns 
refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So a person with a divided heart also seems to receive the message initially. They seem to. Maybe they even make it through suffering or persecution or heartache with their faith intact, so to speak. But their problem is that the message of Jesus has some strong competition within their heart. Their affections are divided. They love Jesus, but they also love money. Jesus is ultimate to them for sure, but their their kids are also ultimate to them. They want to worship Jesus with everything in them. They just also want to be married with everything in them. They want to be approved and liked and popular with everything in them. And we could go on with the different things. But they wrestle with this perpetual tug of war of affections inside of them. Now, to a certain degree, this is all of us, right? I mean, to a certain degree, this just describes what it looks like to follow Jesus, is to have other things that we're wrestling with what it looks like for them to fall in their proper place. But this group of people, the third type of soil that Jesus talks about, they have grown complacent towards those things. To them, it's not really seen as a problem to deal with, it's just seen as reality, and this is just how it is. And in the parable, it says that you may be able to convince yourself for a while that things like that in your heart can coexist alongside Jesus. But eventually, one of the two will win out. Eventually, those other things won't just be competition for our relationships with Jesus, they'll become replacements for it. For instance, Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 6, we read this about a year ago. He says, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. Notice he doesn't say you shouldn't serve both God and money. He says you can't. In other words, it is impossible for God and something else to both be ultimate in your life. Eventually, life will force you to pick what is most important to you. And Jesus is saying here that when that day comes for people with divided hearts, they will choose the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth and leave Jesus behind. Now listen, my concern with this one is not just that some of us might eventually choose those things over Jesus. That's certainly a concern, but it's not my only concern. My concern, rather, is that some of us may have already done it and don't think we have. Think about the language Jesus uses in this passage. He says, the deceitfulness of wealth. Do you know how to know that you've been deceived? You don't. That's the nature of being deceived, right? Usually when you're deceived, you don't know until it's too late, until the damage is already done. I think we, especially in America, especially in the Bible Belt, I think we are really good at convincing ourselves that things that we love are not interfering with our relationship with Jesus, when maybe they are. And to Jesus' point, just at sort of a, a global level, I don't think it is any coincidence that America is simultaneously one of the wealthiest nations in the world and also one of the few nations where the number of proclaimed Christians is decreasing rather than increasing. Jesus would say that those two things are likely related, that many of us are being, quote, choked out by the worries of life and the deceitfulness 
of riches. So there are the three ways that people ultimately fail to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus by having a hardened heart, a shallow heart, or a divided heart. Let's talk finally about what the right heart posture is. What does it look like to be in a good place to receive the message of Jesus and respond accordingly? Last, Jesus tells us about the receptive heart. The receptive heart. Verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And that word understand there in that passage is really far stronger than it sounds in English. It doesn't just mean to intellectually comprehend something. It means to put what you know together with action. That's the idea behind that word understand. The one who does that, the one who hears and understands, puts it into practice. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So the final category of hearer is the one who doesn't just hear and respond with acknowledgement or even with excitement, but the one who responds with action. The one who is a hearer of the word and also a doer of the word. The one who responds by hearing and doing. And more specifically, Jesus says, it's the one who responds by bearing fruit. The person who, who shows real, actual, noticeable evidence of the Holy Spirit growing and changing them over a long period of time. So you might be thinking in response to that, okay, what are we talking about exactly? When we say bearing fruit, what does that mean? Like, What is Jesus referring to there? Well, in some ways, I think we could say that, that it's simply the inverse of the other three types of soil, right? So, so fruit, bearing fruit, looks like responding with receptivity rather than cynicism. Looks like responding with at least curiosity rather than outright rejection. Fruit looks like following Jesus in the moments where it makes life harder for us and not better, not easier. Fruit looks like going to war against anything in our hearts that we see as competing with our love for Jesus. Anything that steals our time and attention and affection away from him. And fruit looks like obedience. It looks like doing things that we maybe don't want to do, wouldn't prefer to do in the moment, because we understand that God knows better than we do, and he's proven that he's trustworthy. This is what it looks like to hear and understand the message of Jesus. It looks like hearing the message and responding by doing, by bearing fruit in a number of different ways. Now, before we wrap up, um, Let's briefly address the question that most everybody has when they read this passage. Most everybody I know who spent any amount of time studying this parable. Usually the question is, how many types of the four soils are Christians, right? That's the question we usually ask. How many of these types of people are actually considered Christians? Now, some of us probably ask that because we're just trying to get clarity. We're just trying to properly understand what Jesus is and isn't saying in this particular passage. And hopefully you've kind of seen the answer already, right? Only the final fourth type of soil represents a true follower of Jesus. The only other one I've even heard people make an argument for is the third type of soil. But remember, that one ends with it being choked out, 
That does not exactly sound like a positive outcome to me. But if you want to debate it later, feel free to come talk to me. Uh, we can totally have that conversation. But I think that's Jesus' point, right? Is that only the fourth type of soil, only that fourth final response represents the life of an actual follower of Jesus. I, I was having a conversation with a guy this week, and he asked me, you know, do you guys believe in the once saved, always saved thing? And I said, absolutely. We believe if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've decided to follow Jesus, then you will always be a follower of Jesus. But that said, we also believe that a lot of people who think they're followers of Jesus may not be. And I think there's tons of evidence for that in the New Testament as you read through it. And so we would say, ask the question, what am I trying to what am I trying to answer with that statement? Because I think a lot of people also ask that question from a really personal place. They're not just trying to understand the passage better. They're actually coming from a deeply personal place. Because I think some of us hear the way that these three types of soil get described, and we get a little bit nervous because maybe one of them sort of sounds like us, sort of sounds like where we're currently at. So, so we asked the question in response to that, okay, but wait, can't, can't you still be the second type of so soil and still be a Christian? Can't you be the third type of soil and still be a Christian? Because deep down, maybe there's part of us that wants to know if we can stay exactly where we're at and still have a relationship with Jesus. Like, what's the threshold exactly? What's the bare minimum I can do to still get eternal life? I think that's the question that a lot of people tend to ask. And if that's you, I, I'm not mad at you, uh, I would challenge you not to think about your relationship with Jesus that way. And for that matter, I would challenge you not to think that way about any meaningful relationship that you have. Imagine for just a second going to your spouse, if you're married, and going, hey, I just wanted to check in. What's like the bare minimum I can do to still be married to you? How's that conversation going to go? Not great, Right? So I would challenge you not to think about any meaningful relationship that way, but certainly not your relationship with Jesus. Shouldn't we be asking not what's the least I have to do to be a Christian and instead ask, how can I allow the redemptive message of Jesus to infiltrate every single aspect and corner of my life? How can I allow the good news of the kingdom to come through everything that I do and say? on a regular basis? I think that's the question that we should be asking. That's what it looks like to have ears to hear. So on that note, I want us to just land here for this morning. As I was thinking through this teaching uh, the past few weeks, there, there's one thing that I was very nervous about as a result of working through this passage. I was very nervous that, that some of us would hear this teaching we would become convicted that maybe our lives look like one of the first three types of soil or look more like those than they do the last type, and that in response, we would just panic. We would just freak out. We would go, oh, no, I have a hard heart. I have a shallow heart. I have a divided heart. I'm doomed. Oh, no. I really don't think that's what Jesus wants you to walk away from this passage with. You see, these three categories don't have to be static, these four types of soil are not like Jesus' version of the Enneagram, okay? It's not like, well, you're a two, sorry, you know? Like, that's, that's not Jesus' response. Sorry if you're a two, by the way. I just picked a random number. I'm a one, and so I didn't want to pick on myself, so I picked on you. So there you go. 
But Jesus is not looking at people through this parable and going, ah, you're the hard soil, sucks to suck, good luck in hell, right? <laughs> I don't think that's Jesus' posture here. I don't think that's what he's trying to communicate. I don't think that's the response he's trying to generate here. You see, the thing about soil is that soil can change. Hardened soil can be watered and softened. Shallow soil can be excavated and filled in so that the seed can grow roots. Even the soil with the thorns, thorns can be dug up and pulled out. What I'm trying to say is that if you're here this morning and you think you might be one of the first three types of soil, that does not mean that you're stuck there. You're not doomed to die with that posture towards the message of Jesus. In fact, it might be that the Spirit of God has you in this place today, hearing this passage, hearing this teaching today, because he wants you to grow convicted so that you might do something about it. After all, Jesus finishes his parables with the words, if you have ears, you should hear. If people were doomed to die in the state they were currently in, Jesus could have just chosen to not tell the story. He could have just not told the parable to begin with. That's not what he does, though, because he wants people to hear. He wants them to respond. He wants them to see where they're at and do something about it. We've been looking at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees the past few weeks together. And something that just absolutely warms my heart every time I think about those stories is that as broken as the Pharisees were, as wrong as they had gotten the message of the good news, as, as warped as their understanding was of people and as harsh and condemning as they were and as big of obstacles as they were to the inbreaking message of Jesus' kingdom, he still didn't try, uh, stop trying to help them see what was right. He never stopped going after them, confronting them, pleading with them to see the light of day. Jesus wants people to hear. He wants us all to have ears to hear. But here's the thing. There's only one way to hear. There's only one way to become the fourth type of soil, and that's by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who softens the hard soil. The Holy Spirit is who enables you to dig out the shallow soil and allow it to grow roots the Holy Spirit is who empowers you to pull up the competition in your heart that threatens to choke out the message of Jesus in your life. In Jesus' initial response to the disciples' question that we read at the beginning, he said to them that the secrets of, of the kingdom had been, quote, given. That's the language that was used. It had been granted to them. God, via his spirit, gave them the ability to hear. The only way to become the fourth type of soil is for the Holy Spirit to soften your heart so that you're ready to hear the message of the kingdom. So here's what I want us to do. If you've got your stuff out, taking notes or whatever, feel free to put that stuff away. We're basically done for this morning. Here's what I want us to do. I just want us to take a moment and deal with this before we're done. I think one of the silliest things to do is to talk about a parable that demands a response and prompts a response and not give us time to respond to it. So feel free to put your stuff away as you do that. Once you've done that, you can bow your heads, close your eyes.
And once you do that, um, with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, I just want you to ask yourself and also maybe ask the Spirit of God one simple question. Just one question. I want you to ask the question, do I have ears to hear? Am I responding to the message of Jesus, the message of his kingdom, by hearing and understanding, by hearing and also doing, putting it into practice? Do I have ears to hear, or is it in one ear and out the other? I'll give you just a moment to ask that question. Do I have ears to hear? is for a lot of us in the room, the response to that question is yes. And maybe the Spirit is wanting to use this moment with us all here together to speak over you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. This is my disciple who hears the word and does it. Maybe for many of you, just take a moment to bask and enjoy the approval of the Father made possible for you through Jesus. Just take a moment, and if that's you, just enjoy that spoken over you. for others of us, maybe the answer to the question, do I have ears to hear? Maybe the answer we're feeling is, is something more like not yet, not at this moment, but I truly believe, like I said earlier, that the follow-up to that response from the Spirit of God is to say, but I want you to. I want you to have ears to hear. I want you to be a part of my kingdom, not just in name, not just in word, but in deed. So maybe he wants to use this moment, this passage, this teaching right now to grant you those ears to hear, to give the, you the ability to hear and respond to the message of Jesus. So if that's you, if you feel like he's saying that to you right now, I just want you to say back to him out loud, quietly to yourself, it doesn't even matter. I just want you to say, I want it too. I want to hear too. still bowed and eyes still closed, I just want to read over you one other passage from Revelation chapter 3 that I think is very relevant for this moment. This is Revelation 3 verse 20. This is Jesus talking. He says, here I am. 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. Father, would you give us ears to hear? Would you help us to respond? We ask this in your name.